repair due to inclement, uh, inclement conditions. And I was preparing for a message on the, on the Feast of Israel and the uh, panorama of the feasts through the scriptures and what they can imply about the past, the present, and the future. And I was enjoying this study, and I got immersed in the Passover, and the meeting was delayed, and it was delayed again. So I, as I became kind of immersed in the topic of the Passover, and the meetings kept getting delayed, it actually pushed this message on the Passover onto Passover, <laughs> which is interesting. Shall we pray? We're thankful, Father, that your word um, is powerful, that it uh, divides asunder the soul and the spirit within us, that it might show us what we are like and what we need, and also cause us to worship and to reflect well upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we reflect well upon him this morning. Reflect well upon your word and marvel at its unity and of its span. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I began to think about the lamb and the Passover. And the scriptures actually remarkably have, have, have a temporal perspective, but they also have a perspective that extends into a future time. And I cannot tell you when that will happen. But when we look at the, at the cycle of the seven feasts that the Jews celebrated, we see that there are four in the spring, and three in the fall. Passover, Unime made reference to, it feels like New Year. Funny you should say that. When the Passover was instituted, God said, this is now your first month. I'm changing the calendar. From the point of view of spiritual things, the Passover and the preparations for the Passover uh, happen in the first month of the year, so that the preparation for the Passover is near religious New Year for the Jews. It used to be the month of Abib, but since Babylon it is referred to as the month of Nisan. And it's interesting to me from the point of view perhaps of Christian discipline that when you have an annual cycle of seven feasts and they involve days of rest and there are seven days in the week and Sunday or Saturday in those days for the Jew is a day of rest. It, it, it is as though your weekly routine and your annual routine remind you of the other. And I think that's uh, instructive. So we have the Passover, which um, began Thursday at supper time, and Friday, Good Friday, the day on which the Lord Jesus was crucified, is Passover, 15 uh, Nisan, and leavened bread was yesterday, and first fruits is today, Resurrection Day. Seven times seven plus one, 50 days, and we have um, Pentecost. In the fall, trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles, and it is generally believed on reflection of the scriptures that the four in the spring have already been fulfilled. If you study the New Testament, these would be largely fulfilled, mostly fulfilled in the life and work of Jesus Christ. So we will look at those, and I was going to too ambitiously think about too many of them, 
But we're only actually going to look at one, the first one, Passover, known in Hebrew as Pesach. And um, if you go to Google Translate and you type in, translate for me Easter into Greek, Pascha comes up, hence Pascal, uh, Pascal lamb, and um, unleavened bread, Bikurim, first fruits, Rashet, Katsir, and Feast of Weeks, uh, Shavat, which we call Pentecost. Pentecost is the Greek word. These are the, the four spring feasts. And they speak, each one speaks in its own way. And as I reflected on scripture, this hymn came to my mind because the panorama of time that we see in the scriptures to me is exactly a grand theme. In 1887, this William Ogden wrote, "'Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. "'Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. "'Tis the grandest theme the world e'er sung. "'Our God is able to deliver thee. "'He is able to deliver thee. "'He is able to deliver thee, "'though by sin oppressed. "'Go to him for rest. "'Our God is able to deliver thee.'" And this... Uh, Panorama, panoramic theme in the scriptures is indeed a grand theme that the, the, the Old Testament picture is in fact exactly the idea of deliverance, deliverance. The Passover that we read about in Exodus chapter 12, the actual event involving sacrificial lambs, plural, is foreshadowed back in Genesis 22, which would be almost 1900 years before Christ. It is foreshadowed, it was foreshadowed by Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham, you can think of as the first Jew. And the key verse, 22.8, is... And Abraham said, because his son says, I see the fire, I see the wood. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? What, can you imagine Abraham's upwelling of emotion when his son asked him that question? Because God had asked him to sacrifice his own son. I can't imagine it. Thank you, Kenneth. But the, you have 10 chapters from 12 to 22, that's 10 chapters. Genesis is 50 chapters, that's 20% of the book. Occupied with this man, Abraham, in, ch in chapter 12, you have a promise that he's going to become a great nation. And here's my son right here, the basis for a future nation. What is going on? My son is asking me where the sacrifice is. But God has instructed me to do something. It must have been a tremendous act of the will and a tremendous act of obedience and of faith that even if Isaac was to die, that God could cope with that, either by bringing Isaac back from the dead or by some other means. And as we now know, as the knife was about to come down, he heard, Abraham, 
hold your hand. Wow, what a, what a moment. And this uh, artist has the angel holding back Abraham's hand. What a, what a man of faith and obedience that he was prepared to do that. And I love the words. And no matter where you put the word himself, that's beautiful. My son, the Lord will himself provide, or the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Wow, indeed, one day he would. The lamb of God, as John said, who takes away the sin of the world. What a remarkable prophecy. And that lamb was provided then and there in Genesis 22. And it looks forward to multiple mentions and instances and events involving a lamb. A marvelous thing. And now we come to the, to the event, the actual Pesach, which means pass over, to be passed over. Judgment. Judgment could come onto me and my house. How shall it pass over my house? God says, Moses says, I will tell you. I'll tell you how. You take a lamb, a year old, without blemish and without spot, an innocent, perfect lamb, and you sacrifice it. And you put the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, and you stay inside. And you roast that lamb, and you eat it with your loins girt and your shoes on and your staff in your hand, because shortly you are going to be delivered. Shortly you're out of here. You're leaving Egypt. That's the attitude of this passing over of judgment, that we are leaving. We are leaving. Detailed instructions from Moses in chapter 12 of Exodus. And 1227, just giving you a few words from that verse, and it's still done. Do you know that it's still done today? And that if you have a, a child at the Passover table, the child who is old enough to do this will often be given the honor of sort of like reminding us of Isaac and reminding us of this incident here. What do these, what, what, who, somebody's got to ask the question, what do these things mean? And the answer is given. When we were in oppression and affliction, God delivered us. And according to Jewish tra tradition, the more detail that you can tell this story in and with, good on you. The more the better. Tell this story in all its great detail, as much as possible. And that, is ha that happens at the Passover table. As you know, they were delivered and they passed through the sea, the sea dried up and they passed through. They got to the other side and they had been delivered. And had they ever been delivered, because they looked back and watched Pharaoh's army being destroyed. I believe that Pharaoh is a picture of Satan and that Satan's intentions for God's people were completely foiled. The Lord delivered our houses. That's what it says in Exodus, that you should tell the child when he asks, what does all of this meal mean? Interestingly, the event, the historical event, is, is not left there, so to speak. 
I use the word institutionalized loosely, um, but it is reiterated in Leviticus 23 as something that they should regularly observe. So it was not just a historical event. God says, indeed, you shall revisit this event every first religious month of the year. You shall revisit this and think about your deliverance again. Isn't that a good thing to be reminded and for us to have that spiritual godly discipline to think about perhaps in a regular way our deliverance? So it is described in Leviticus 23 along with the other um, six feasts in that vicinity of the Bible. And some translations use holy convocation. Some translations say solemn assembly. But they were to come together and they were to observe the Passover feast. Now it is most interesting that the very simple statement in Numbers 28.16, the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord, is in the context of a wandering people. You can see the tents on the right at night. And we can infer from that that the practice of the blood of the lamb was then, as it, is, uh, as it was for centuries afterwards, done not by putting blood on, a, on, a, on, on canvas of a tent, but to be splashed on the altar, on the base of the, on the support of the altar, the side of the altar. And Moses laid that out in chapter 28 of Numbers. A wandering people. You might say, well, I, you know what? It's not convenient anymore. We, we, we are, we're a wandering people and we have a portable temple and all. <laughs> no. These things are to be continuously observed. And they continued to be observed when the temple was built by Solomon. Now fast forward over 1,500 years to its actual fulfillment. It's interesting. How, I mean, there's different ways of looking at this, are there not? You can say that the picture of Abraham, that the Passover deliverance event of Exodus, that the instruction to practice it, whether you're wandering or not, in Leviticus and Numbers, is pointing to Exodus. Yeah, but they all point to a higher reality, an ultimate uh, realization of the sacrifice of the lamb. By Jesus Christ of Nazareth, identified by John as the lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God. He was the ultimate, final, sacrificial Lamb to take away my sin and your sin. His sacrifice was by Roman execution, death on a cross. And when he broke bread on the Thursday evening, before he prayed in Gethsemane, wherein he was arrested on the Mount of Olives, he said, I, with desire I have desired. I love that, that statement. 
And it, it really, really um, amazes me that the one who knew better than anybody what was in store for him after this supper ended could say, with desire I have desired to eat this last Passover with you. What an amazing statement. But I think it speaks of his love for his friends. Is that the kind of relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that he loves you like that? Are you, are you there at that table? Do you know how much he wants you to be there? He deeply wants you to be there. There's a couple of other things that I wanted to point out about this event. Since Nehemiah, the Passover meal actually became, um, the return from Babylon actually became um, more detailed. We, we know more about it. And the unleavened bread had, was scarified and pierced. The Lord Jesus, his back received the stripes and his hands were pierced. It speaks of that, doesn't it? And when we read in Isaiah 53, 7, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Speaking of how, Pilate was amazed that Jesus would not argue for his innocence. Speaking of how Jesus would not say one single word to Herod. Another aspect of this that I've always been impressed with is the fact that in the more detailed um, Passover celebration, and this was the very last Passover, you know that after this night, after this event, this Passover night, that Thursday night, it no longer, as a Jewish ceremony, has meaning because it has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And one of the aspects of this from Psalm 113 to 118 would be things that would be recited and sung. You should read that. You should read Psalm 113, 118 in the context of the Last Supper, in that context. And think about the words and think about the Lord Jesus singing some of these words in Psalm 118. I'll just read you a couple of those verses. Can you imagine that the Lord Jesus in 118.2 sang, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. What an amazing thing. His friends around him at that table are singing, thou art become my salvation. Did they know? Did they appreciate? Do we appreciate that the Lord Jesus Christ became our salvation to an extent and to a depth and to a degree that the only person at the table who had knowledge of it was he himself and he sang it with them that he was about to become their salvation as the paschal lamb soon to be offered that astonishes me 
27. Bind the sacrifice with cords unto the horns of the altar. Verse 27 of Psalm 118. He would soon be pinned to that cross. He would soon be bound. And he could sing that. That soon he was going to be that sacrifice. Not only for the men who ate with him there, but for you and for I. Amazing. Then what do we see? Well, we see that this supper, this meal, was put in practice. It was put in practice by God's people. The year 30 and beyond, through the book of Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 20. As observed by the early church, we can see in 242 it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Breaking of bread. Although it can mean eating supper together in an ordinary meal, since it says in chapter 20, in the context of that, that phrase, that key phrase, breaking of bread, that is done on the first day of the week. Well, you eat supper every day, don't you? So what's special about the first day of the week? Well, that's the breaking of bread. We celebrated it this morning at 9.30, and this was done in Troas. And the service went late into the evening, and somebody who was sitting on the windowsill, what happened to him? fell down, Eutychus. That was in Troas. But that service began with the breaking of bread. And then there was preaching, and the preaching went on quite a long time. I see I have a typo in there. In case we think that um, this is something that's just for times past, we can see in 1 Corinthians, written about the year late 50s or, or about 60, that Paul, by his personal revelation that he had from the Lord Jesus Christ, lays it out for us in chapter 11, if you like, institutionalized or confirmed as something that we should do. He says, For I received of the Lord that which I also, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks he break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup, it says. And Paul conveys to the Corinthians that this is part and parcel, and in fact is central to what they are as a church. Now I can't put a year on this. You see, I have I'll say that it's going to happen before the end of this century. 2,000 and something. Um, maybe I shouldn't have put a zero there. I don't know. Maybe it'll be before long. But in the panorama of Scripture, from, Gen from Genesis chapter uh, 22 until some point in the future, we see the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. Now here is a, a wonderful thing, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Let's look at that scripture. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of the many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And at this time of year at Easter, with the handle of Messiah, that is where people stand up. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, <clears throat> for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, and clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. One of my daughters was married a couple of summers ago, and my number three, our number three, is getting married at the end of June. And, I, and in spite of that, I don't know much about weddings, and I'm very glad I don't plan them. But there's one thing I'm very sure of, that the groom knows the bride, personally knows the bride. Are you known of the Lord Jesus Christ? The bride of Christ is the church. And another thing I know about how weddings work is the bride gets invited to the reception. The bride is present for this great meal, isn't she? Will you be there? Will you be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb? I trust that you know that you will be and that you look forward to that. You look forward to that day when all believers will sit down and the realization of our atonement, the realization of our redemption will be, if you like, portrayed and it will be a reality. We might think of a, a sort of a sevenfold theme here. I have about five minutes. What can you take away if you try to reduce things to maybe a couple of words? What can you take away from Genesis 22? God's part, man's part. In Genesis 22, God provided the lamb. Abraham's part was to have faith that God was in control and to obey. Exodus 12, God's part, he does the delivering. He does the delivering. Their part and our part in picture, obey, apply the blood. The New Testament talks about obeying the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? Obeying, that the gospel is something to be obeyed? Do you think all of those Israelites had a great enlightenment, every last one of them, as to the meaning of the blood on the door? I would suggest to you perhaps not. But the key thing was, do it, do it. There is an element of obedience in thinking about the gospel. There is an element of, if you like, following the instructions. Do you have every single question answered? Well, I don't, and I don't know any Christians who do. But my mind is at rest, as Josh McDowell put it. And I understand enough to know that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Leviticus 23 and, Levi and, and Numbers 28, the design of this 
God gave a design for the worship, a plan for the earthly children of God. We are not the earthly children of God. We are going to be, uh, we are citizens of heaven right now. We are not the earthly children of God. These were the instructions to the earthly children of God, whom God is not finished with, by the way. And he gave them a design for their worship, and he gave them a discipline to their worship. There is a holy discipline, I think, there should be in the Christian life. And whether or not you're on the move or whether it's convenient is kind of irrelevant. There should be a holy discipline in our lives. Um, as you know, the book of Hebrews lays out for us the sacrificial system that we can read about in the Torah, in the, in the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, and portrays for us the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has made all of it unnecessary and uh, something that, that is essentially finished, that the shadow, those things were a shadow of what's to come, and Jesus had come and has come, so that there is no more need for the believer to, to engage in this kind of sacrificial system because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But if you look in the book of Hebrews, you don't find mention of feasts or this kind of a cycle of these seven feasts as feasts. But what does it say toward the end of chapter 10? It says this. Um, that's the next. It says this. Yes, the sacrificial system has, has passed away. But then, with regard to these holy assemblies and these solemn convocations, mixing the words, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Yes, it's true that system has passed away. Yes, it's true we don't have all of the uh, complications of these many ceremonies, as do the Jews. That is good. We put our faith instead in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But does that mean then we don't have any reason to get together or that we should neglect getting together? No, that is not the testimony of Scripture. Moving to the, uh, to the New Testament. Matthew 26, of course, the Gospels all tell us about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the testimony of Scripture is that he redeemed us. And do you know that the word for redeem is exactly the same as the word for ransom? Ransom. I think that is a, a profound thought in and of itself, that we are like people who have been kidnapped by someone more powerful than ourselves and are under the domain and the rule of sin apart from Christ. We're, we need to be ransomed. And there's one thing I know about somebody who has been, as it were, kidnapped, who's under the dominion of another, he can't free himself, he can't deliver himself. Someone more powerful has to ransom, has to deliver that person. And the Lord Jesus Christ has done that for us. What is our part? To believe, to trust, to put our personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our part. 
1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. First Corinthians, the reference to the Lord's Supper, as is practiced by the church even today. Why does God ask for that, indicate that remaining holy discipline? To bless you, to bless us. This is a great blessing to be able to reflect upon these precious things. And when we do come and worship him as people who know him, we honor that, we honor that. It's good for us because our memories are, are, are weak and, and, and we have the call of the world every day of the week and it makes us foggy in the head, I think. It is good for us to come aside and to recall deliberately in a manner of holy discipline to reflect upon our deliverance, our deliverance. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. To reflect upon that kind of deliverance from darkness into light is a good thing to do if you have had that experience, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Revelation 19, a future day. We don't know when. This is a very precious verse. Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. And at that time, our redemption will be made complete. This crotchety malfunctioning body that is only going to get more crotchety and malfunctioning is going to be traded in. And this heart that still has the attraction sometimes to sin will be traded in. And I'll have no such interest anymore. Wouldn't that be great? That'll be a great thing. So what's my suggestion? I've talked about believing and honoring. Well, what about this future thing? What's my suggestion? Open your eyes. There's singing in Revelation. There's a lot of praise in Revelation. Partake, I don't know what's going to be, what we're going to be partaking of. And, and you know, we, can't have, we can't have this grand feast without perhaps some dancing, which I think Unime will be very interested in. <laughs> and I'll be there too. Although I think my skill is two leagues below the skill of most others. Open your eyes, open our eyes. That's what we will do and need to do. All I can say is Maranatha, our Lord come. I wonder, I'm going to pray and then perhaps we can sing the last verse of number 243, 243. So I trust on this Easter Sunday, as you reflect upon um, the Lamb of God who has taken away, I hope that you know your sin, that you are trusting in him by faith, that the Lord will bless you and speak to your heart in new and powerful ways. Let's uh, stand and sing the last verse of number 243.